Welcome to episode 24 of Around the League. We are super excited to talk hoops today because there's so much to unpack. As we always say, the NBA never disappoints. The Knicks want some respect on their name. Clint Capella is playing like the modern day big fella Shaquille O'Neal. And Cleveland this week had multiple revenge victories over the over the Brooklyn Nets. Um, matchup wise, this is probably one of the most exciting weeks in basketball because we had um, a poten- we had a couple of potential Eastern Conference Finals previews. We had a potential NBA Finals preview with the Bucks and the Lakers. So tons to unpack. But before we jump in, let's touch in with our guy Tuan. What's going on, man? No much, baby. No much. Uh, sports filled weekend. Huge McGregor fight, uh, Poirier fight yesterday. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that. You said you won some money. You actually took Poirier. Yeah, I bet um, Poirier. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm not like a huge, huge UFC fan. Like I, I'll, I'll watch all the main cards and whatnot and big, big events. I used to be a really big fan. I used to go to like Boston Pizza every weekend, even watching like the the random cards that that aren't as hype, but um, not as Big, but yeah, yesterday was a huge, huge fight. Uh, a rematch of a fight from seven years ago between Poirier and uh, McGregor. And yeah, I just had a feeling, man. Poirier uh, put in that work and McGregor had some time off with this boxing match against Mayweather. And, you know, I think the fame got to him a little bit. But uh, yeah, I got three to one odds on Poirier. So I'm like, man, McGregor's still a favorite. I, you know, I thought he was going to win, but if you're going to give me three to one odds... I'll take that any day. Yeah, so how much you win? Uh, I won 60 bucks. Oh, that's all right. That's <laughs> right. Throw that into a parlay this afternoon in oh, football. Yeah. Oh, there yeah, you go. Sure. for sure. We need to put a put a ticket in for uh, for Tampa Bay and uh, maybe, who else? Maybe the Bills. Maybe the Bills? Yeah, because I like that narrative. And it's so, I was talking about, I was talking this with Blair, who's like a diehard Bills fan. And, you know, it's such an angry fan base. They're so sour and... For them to get this far is so big because you know Tom Brady is finally out of their out of their conference. Tom Brady to the Bills is LeBron to the Raptors. Oh yeah, you know but, he's the boogeyman. But to like the furthest extent, the furthest extent because this guy's been dominating for twenty years. Exactly. So for them to potentially get to the Super Bowl and maybe have to play him, I like that narrative a lot. I do too. I do too. I, let, let's let's uh, talk offline, but I like those two picks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, but with regards to the McGregor fight, like I meant to watch it. I had the stream up, um, but I I just fell asleep. What time? <laughs> it, what time was the main event? Uh, so the the main card started at ten, and then uh, the McGregor fight was probably at like twelve thirty. Yeah, I was out cold. But see, one of the things that I had thought from the outside looking in was you know just from following. McGregor on social media, there's such a stark difference in his image pre, pre-Floyd fight to post. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on the yachts. He's got that million-dollar watch. Like, you, know, you know he's enjoying his money. And, you know, in my opinion, which is very little with MMA, like, I just feel like you got to have that edge in the octagon. you got to be so hungry. And it's really hard to, you know, create that hunger when you got all that money. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and then it was interesting to see what Khabib posted on Instagram about like how he changed his team, um, his sparring partners, and he started sparring with little kids. Yeah. And, you know, like he's just saying that he's taken a couple steps back and it's really hard to get your momentum. Yeah, even in his post, post-game post interview, he was saying that, yeah, he's been inactive for for too long. And, you know, he yeah, it caught up to him. So I hope he comes back, you know, trains harder and, you know, finds – 
you know, a viable opponent to um, to fight so that he can still be a contender in, in, in his weight class. And obviously, if he's able to invest that time, and I think he'll he'll be back in contention soon enough. He'll be back. He has to be back. Like, guys like this very few guys like McGregor in the respective sport in the sense that, like Tiger Woods, um, you know, he is golf. And anytime he's in a tournament, they're getting their ratings. And the same thing with Conor McGregor, right? He's so good for the sport. Um, I personally love his, I love his, I love his off, like outside of the ring antics. Don't get me wrong. Like if I'm a really entertaining mm-hmm. guy, but yeah. I really respect the way he loses too. And I think that's one thing that people might not realize is when he does lose, he shows a ton of respect. Yeah, he was, he was very, very like respectful and even humble um, in his post game interview, which I can respect. Like that's, he can have all this talk. He can, you know, talk a lot of shit, but when he loses, he'll take it like a, Take it like a loser, and you know, get probably get better from that. But um, speaking of Tiger, I watched the first half yeah. of that HBO documentary, and it was it was sick, man. I I didn't know Tiger was that insane and like intense, even at a young age, with like all of the footage from him being like a two years old, and then being on like the talk shows and all those, uh, yeah, just all those huge channels under the spotlight since yeah, he was I, two years old. I, I had no know, idea. Either. I had n- no idea. I had no idea either. And you know what? I actually just finished watching that this week. And um, my initial reaction watching that documentary was like my blood pressure went to 1,000. You know, I was so stressed out. It was just like you were just watching. I felt like I was just watching like a group of people attack my favorite superhero. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, But, you know, at the same time, now that I sit back and, you know, reflect on that documentary, he did it to himself. Like, you know, you obviously know what's going to happen in the second episode, right? It is a smear campaign based on, you know, some mistakes that he made. And, you know, I think it's because after all that went down in 2010, like I processed it over the next several years and I watched him, you know, hit rock bottom, uh, recreate itself, recreate himself. You know, he's been on fire since 2009 in, in the media in terms of winning the Masters, winning everyone over again. Yeah. And to see this, like I was just a little disappointed because I was like, he already paid his dues. True. But it's a True. lesson, like you mess up like that, you know, we always say, you know, they build you up to take you down. Um, but if you reemerge and, and bring yourself back up, like you're still going to get reminded about the mistakes you made. And oh, this is sure. case in point. For sure. For sure. It, it, it is pretty wild that he's just been that prodigy, that his dad had this vision, good or bad, whatever way you, you take in the way you think about it. He had this vision and he spoke about his son, his son so highly, even at a young age. You know, how he's going to change society, how he's going to be a good for the world. And he's going to be like Gandhi. Right. Um, at like the age of like 15, 16 years old. And it's pretty incredible to watch, obviously know the results and like see where he took his career and like was such a prominent figure in a very white dominated sport, right? Oh, absolutely. He was transcend. He transcended the sport, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, with regards to that documentary, the more I think about it, like, you know, Everyone that was a part of it, every allegation against him, you know, it's all fair. You know, they're allowed to have those opinions, mm. unfortunately, because he messed up. And um, one of the things I was thinking, the only thing I will say about that documentary, I just think the cast of characters, I don't think they're equi- or qualified to, like, analyze his psyche the way that they are. So um, when I was watching it with my little brother, Jackie... Uh, they were interviewing his like kindergarten teacher. I'm like, man, that's such a stretch. Come on, you gotta interview his kindergarten teacher and get her perspective on his dad and him at what 
five, six, seven years old. <laughs> or, his, or, his six, or his 16-year-old girlfriend who he probably hasn't even thought about over the last, like, yeah. 35 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, you know, they, they obviously picked and choose their, uh, the people that they wanted their point of view wisely. Yeah, and then their, their interview, like, family friends, quote-unquote family friends, like, are they really family friends? Are they going to talk um, about them at this level and at this, like, uh, this way? So... Yeah, you take it with a grain of salt, right? You got to take it with a grain of salt. And, you know, as upset as it made me uh, at first, you know, the more I think about it, it's, you know, you had it coming. Um, when you're number one in your respective sport, your margin for error is so little. Like what? I mean, I don't know if this is true, but like, take a guy like Tristan Thompson. Didn't he get caught cheating on his girlfriend? Yeah, he did. I mean, no one thinks about it, right? But no. if you're Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan, yeah, different story. For sure. For sure. Well, when you're at that high of a level and you're, you're basically on a pedestal, it's uh, everything's looked at that way, right? Yeah, good documentary though, definitely entertaining. Yeah. Um, sure. But let's jump into hoops. You know, I, there's there was a li- there's a list of things that we need to talk about or unpack today because this week was so entertaining. But before we do, I don't think we're gonna get into this, so we might as well do it now, real quick. Uh, Steph Curry passing Reggie Miller in the all-time three-point list. That's cool. Yeah, I saw like a little clip where it was Reggie and his son, and they were congratulating Steph. Um, post game on on that achievement, so that's really cool to see those guys embrace embrace him, knowing that he's the, 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 he is the best shooter of all time, and he'll eventually pass Ray Allen on on that list. But he even mentioned that like Ray Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, all those guys that he's surpassed or is going to surpass, they've always been supportive and you know they've been rooting for him. So really cool to see that that brotherhood, especially for a guy like Steph, who's been such a great personality and great a player for the game and yeah he'll obviously obliterate that three-point um uh record when it's all said and done but super cool to see him get that achievement so early in his career yeah i mean let's just do maybe a minute or two on golden state real quick um didn't have it on the agenda but while we're on the topic just want to give them a shout out because they're playing super hard right now and they're shorthanded without clay thompson but um Draymond Green, I'm telling you, man, that guy works so hard. And as funny as it is to play on Charles Barkley and say that, you know, he averages a, a triple single, because he actually does average a triple yeah, single. I know, I know. His stat line's always like eight points, seven <laughs> rebounds, six assists. But he is so vocal on the court and he's so instrumental for their offense. And, um, you know, Steph's success is definitely not there without a guy like him. Uh, you can see him coaching Wiseman, who's playing out of his mind right now. And I just really respect Golden State because. They've been a silver spoon basketball team for the past five years. And to see two guys like Draymond Green and Steph Curry in the trenches at the moment um, playing super hard, like, respect to them. Uh, with, with with your comment with uh, Draymond and uh, Wiseman, I, honestly, I think Wiseman is going to be an amazing player in, 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 in a few years. Just with, like, the, the tutelage from Draymond. And you can see the clips and whatnot that's being posted now. But... He's going to be such a huge mentor for that kid, defensively. Um, someone, again, he's like a freak athlete, a huge, huge, what, 19, 20-year-old, just like super athletic, um, plays the game really hard, and he's probably in the best situation for him. Like He's, he's going to be able to win early in his career, contend for a playoff spot or contend uh, in a playoff series, and then having Draymond Green, like defensive player of the year, a guy that is going to do all the small, dirty things um, the hustle plays, and if he's able to incorporate that into his game, 
but then also become a focal point of the, in the offense within a year or two. Um, he's going to be really good, man. He's going to be really good. He's like a, he's like kind of like a unicorn type player because he's so quick uh, on the floor and he plays with so much energy. And he was able to, yeah, just take the learnings from Draymond, someone who's undersized, not as athletic. Um, like Wiseman has all the tools, all the um, metrics and figures. He's going to be amazing in due time. And it's only going to get better for him once Clay Thompson comes back because the floor is going to open up. Ooh, yeah. And for him to have that much space, um, it's yeah, it's definitely going to You can tell they're super excited about him. Yeah, I, I think you, just because he only played three games last year in college, people kind of forgot how explosive he was. And I think even playing against grown men, he's like above above average. Yeah, and they, sure. were, they were pretty silent about his workout um, from what I've heard. You know, they had that workout with them. You could tell, you know, their, their, their smirk was busting out of the seams. But, you know, they kept it pretty quiet and left everything on the table in terms of who they were going to draft. It could have been it could have been Ball. It could have been Toppin, whoever it was. But uh, I think they knew it was going to be Wiseman right after that workout. I think even if they didn't or if they got the number one pick, he would have been their, their pick. I don't think Anthony Edwards was even in consideration if they had that number one pick. It was either going to be LaMelo or... It's me, Wiseman, but yeah, they chose Wiseman. I think great decision for that franchise right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, shout out Golden State. It's so good to have a portion of them back into the league because you know, anytime I see them on League Pass as an option to watch, like I'm clicking yeah. because Steph Steph's a walking highlight reel, right? Um, speaking of highlight reels, let's just let's shift over to Brooklyn. Um, it was a big week for Brooklyn with Ky- with Kyrie coming back, um, a major statement game. With, against the Milwaukee Bucks, and then two games versus the Cleveland Cavaliers that you didn't really think much of, and now that they've come, now that they've transpired, there's a lot to take away from those games. So um, they're rolling offensively like they knew they like we knew they would. Yeah, um, they have no issues scoring the basketball, and people are already calling them, you know, potentially the most potent offense of all time. I'd argue that the Warriors are up there, the Warriors teams of the past, but yeah. uh, teach his own. I don't think we need to overanalyze. Uh, Kyrie Irving and his impact, but Tuan, what's your what's your immediate reactions to these last three games this week? Because it's been a strange week for them. It has. So here's a stat that I I was doing some research on. So in the last three games, they've allowed 123, 147, and 125 points uh, in each of their games against Milwaukee, um, Cleveland, and Cleveland, and. For Milwaukee, for the Milwaukee game, that's that's fine because Milwaukee has the best offense in the league. But when you allow those numbers against the Cavs, against a young team led by Colin Sexton, then that's a little alarming. Even you know, even with new guys being incorporated into your offense and defensive schemes, um, I think yeah, that's definitely the their biggest pain point right now is they can you know have a shootout with a team 150, 145, but when you play, when you're in a playoff setting, and teams are going to play half court and not allow you to play at that high speed at the high pace, uh, things are going to change. But again, they have three of the best ISO players um, and guys that can uh, create for themselves in the league. So I don't think that's going to be a worry. I think they're just probably just finding the groove right now, trying to see how to um, share the ball. I think Harden's going to play a very, very um, huge facilitator role. I think. He hasn't been shooting as much uh, since his first game where he got the triple-double. Um, I think he's going to probably be a little more passive um, in his scoring and looking for his 
offense to try to get Kyrie and KD more involved. I know he's still like, currently the assist leader in the league at 11, 11 assists per game. So I think that that assist number is going to continue to keep going up because he'll be the, like, the best facilitator for that type of offense. Yeah, you just touched on both points that I wanted to bring up. One being the defense, the second being the usage. Um, let's let's work on let's talk about the defense a bit more because um, their offense is world class, you know, and it's going to be, and it's good enough to get them to the Eastern Conference Finals. It's good enough to get them to the finals. It's that good. Mm-hmm. But Cleveland is thirtieth in their offensive rating per hundred possessions. Yeah. So if you're like their offense is probably at the top one percent of the league. Their defense is probably at the bottom one percent, and to have that contrast is it's too detrimental. It's it's totally going to be their Achilles' heel that's going to prevent them from having any success and you know reaching their ultimate goal. I think for them this year, it's going to be buyout market or bust. Like they're going to have to address these issues in the buyout market because you got to keep Kyrie Irving, you got to keep James Harden, you got to get Kevin Durant. A lot of people are saying you know maybe trade. Kyrie Irving for pieces. I think you got to see this experiment through this season, but you know you got to try to pick up PJ Tucker as someone of the like during the buyout market because the defense is too atrocious. If if this is their team, I don't think they're making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Maybe if they do, but not the NBA Finals. Yeah, I don't think there's ever been an example of a team that's been so strong offensively but so weak defensively, making it to the finals and winning everything. I can't you know, in the last 20 years, really tell you a team that, that's done that. Usually teams now, the great teams, are a top five, top ten team in offense and defense. So you're, like, really, if you're a top five team in both categories, you're you're looking at a lock in the Eastern Conference or Western Conference finals, right? Now, they're so good at offense, though, that I could see them, even if they were middle of the pack, even if they were, you know, between 15 and 20 in defense, you know, that would be adequate enough just because they can score the ball so well, right? Um, but the other thing I wanted to talk about with you was is their usage rate. You know, in terms of historical usage rate, usage rate, they got three players in the top 15 right now in Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, which I don't think has ever been done uh, with any other team. So you were talking about James Harden being a facilitator. I actually think it's going to have to be Kyrie that takes the step back because... You know, we saw James Harden play with Kevin Durant without Kyrie for two games, and you know they had no problem scoring no. thirty and thirty each. You know, I think they both had it. One of them had a triple double; the other one almost did. Yeah, yeah. Kyrie comes back into the equation, um, and all of a sudden they start struggling because James Harden is now playing that facilitator role, and Kyrie's scoring the basketball. I think it's got to be the other way around. What do you think? I think Kyrie has he's shown the potential to be a playmaker and. Um, you know, allow his teammates to play off the ball when he has the ball on his hands. Um, honestly, those two guys, I think they'll, they'll, they'll work it out. I think they'll work it out, especially having Steve Nash as their coach too. I think that's a little um, under like overlooked right now because, again, he's a rookie coach, but he has that, you know, share the ball, play within the flow type of mentality. Um, and I think even with Mike, Mike D'Antoni there too, um, they'll just they'll – just, um, Kind of just figure out everything as the season goes on. And I think they're going to be a, definitely a better playoff team than they are a regular season team. Yeah, no, I know last week when we were talking, I mentioned P.J. Tucker as a candidate. But the more I think about it, I, I feel like he's got to be their guy. Um, I feel like 
you know, his time is almost over in Houston, and he's sort of that perfect player to to guard um, some of the best forwards in the Eastern Conference for them. He'd be a huge guy for them. Uh, I'm not sure what the Rockets are going to do with him. I, I'm sure he still has value, so teams will probably even trade, like, two second-round picks or a late first-round pick um, for a contending team. I could see that. I'm not sure if he's going to be available in the buyout market because I feel like Houston will try to get something, and I don't think he's... Um, playing that poorly, that he's not going to be able to, have, be able to find some um, some teams looking at getting his services. The last thing I was thinking about, tell me if this is crazy or not, but you got to see this experiment through this year. You know, you have Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant on the same team. There's no way you're you're changing any of that. But what I'm noticing too in these games is Joe Harris, when Kyrie Irving isn't on the floor, is averaging close to like 20 points a game. <laughs> He's playing out of his mind, and he should. He's making seventy million dollars a year. That's that's crazy, right? That, that's crazy. And in any game that Kyrie Irving has been been playing this year, well, since the James Harden trade, he's averaging under ten. So I feel like his usage is completely affected by Kyrie Irving's presence. And so you know, if this doesn't work out this year, I feel like either you trade Kyrie in a blockbuster for a ton of parts, or you got to trade a guy like Joe Harris, who's got a ton of value for another team. For some defensive parts, yeah, they're, they're they're lacking in the in the front court right now. It's just DeAndre and KD, but I don't think they want to put KD in positions to um, overwork himself too much on defense. Right, he's still obviously recovering from that um, that or that ACL or Achilles, sorry, Achilles surgery, and the, he has a huge load on the offensive side too. So if they're able to, yeah, Joe Harris gonna be a central piece for them. I'm not sure if they're yeah gonna look to trade him, but if they do trade Kyrie, it'd be for front court help on the defensive side, for sure. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, I was just thinking that, you know, if they're going to keep Kyrie, they're not going to get a lot of use out of Joe Harris. He's sort of just like a luxury piece then. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's going to be super fulfilled in his role as, you know, the fourth or fifth option. So, you know, you can definitely get a lot for him for the time being because when he is playing him and they are using him in offense, he's playing out of his mind. Yeah, he's he's a really good piece. Really, really nice piece to have, especially for a team like that. Um I think, man, if he's able to win that team just one game when one of those guys, or all, sorry, two or three of those guys are, are on a cold streak, and if they, if he's able to just go off uh, in one of the playoff games, I think his, his contract's going to be worth it because they need, need a guy that is going to be consistently be available for that three and someone who's going to get his shot off, and I think he's that guy. Yeah, and speaking of playoff games, I mean, we saw a preview uh, when they played the, the Bucks. This week, you know, potential Eastern Conference Finals, and he did play fantastic. So let's flip it now. Uh, let's flip it to Milwaukee and talk about them. Um, I have my concerns, but, uh, you know, this past week they played Brooklyn, they played L.A., and they lost both games. But yep. they lost both games in a very similar fashion. So but just quickly, I want to I want, I hear your takeaway from this week's uh, matchups. Yeah, so Milwaukee was ahead of... Um, Brooklyn late in that game, uh, but you know KD KD made a big shot I believe with a little more than a minute left to take the lead in, and they never relinquished that. But yeah, Milwaukee man, they 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 seem to just crush like you know those um, lottery middle of the pack teams. But when it comes to playing the Lakers, the Clippers, uh, the Celtics, 76ers, uh, the contenders. They never really play that well. They always feel like, again, the, the two losses to the Lakers, the Nets, um, and, you know, we know their recent history in the playoffs against, you know, solid Eastern Eastern Conference teams. And 
yeah, Giannis hasn't really progressed offensively where I think many of us thought he would be. Even It's funny to say because he's a two-time former MVP and man, he's just hasn't really developed that shot. He was one for 10 uh, from the free throw line against the, the Mavs a week or so ago. Um, and that can't happen, man. How are you one out of 10? How are you 10% from the free throw line when your team's in a close game against another star like Doncic, right? It's That's really alarming. And, um, you know, he's, I don't know, is, is it because Bud's putting him in like a, in a weird situation? Why is he always at the top of the key? Um, why isn't he in the post? You know, why isn't he just floating around in the free throw area and either working on that pull-up or that catch-and-shoot or attacking the rim? But, like, I, I'm just kind of, like, dumbfounded by the way that they're us- utilizing him. Um, and, yeah, his free throw shooting is definitely a concern. His three-point um, percentage isn't great. I think it's below league average. So teams are going to continue to force him to shoot the three. If he's attacking now, they're going to foul him. So his game hasn't progressed, and I don't think um, Drew Holiday, even though Chris Middleton is playing well, really well, I, I still don't see that team um, being a force in the playoffs the way they are in the regular season. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, there's so much I want to say about Milwaukee, but try to yeah, I'll try to keep it as simple as I can. When we were doing a preview on teams this year, when, before the season started, my concern with Milwaukee was down like late in games down the stretch and their Achilles heel has always been down the stretch they don't have a go-to guy because they can't go through Giannis he's not a good enough free throw shooter and therefore late in games they're going to Chris Middleton and if that's going to be the case if they have championship aspirations and Chris Middleton is your go-to guy in the last five minutes of the game uh, they're still there. They've been that way for the last two years. They're st- they still have that dilemma. Chris Middleton is fantastic, but he's not good enough. You're going to need better than Chris Middleton if you're looking for a go-to guy at the end of you know at the last five minutes of the game. It's glaring. You know that is their issue because if you look at the last five minutes of the Lakers game, if you look at the last five minutes of the Brooklyn game, Giannis is nowhere to be found, and Chris Middleton is running the entire offense. Mm-hmm. Now he hit some really nice pull-up jumpers off the pick-and-roll, but he can't be taking the last shot every game. No, so do you you think Drew Holiday should be in that role? No, I think Giannis is supposed to be the guy with the $250 million contract that's supposed to be in that position. And, you know, it'd be... He won't even attack the rim and get to the free-throw line because he's shooting free-throws at, like, 39%. Yeah, I don't know the percentage there, but they're terrible. They're just terrible, yeah. So it's actually, like, atrocious. Um, the way he's shooting the free throw or at the rate he's shooting the free throw. Why is it that big guys, I mean, now this is completely unrelated, but kind of related. Why do big guys have such a hard time shooting free throws? Dwight Howard, Shaquille O'Neal, guys like Giannis. There's got to be a TSN sports science on this because I really don't get it. I'm not sure if it's the hands. I think, I know Shaq said that like it's tough because his hands are so big that he's just basically like palming the ball and just throwing it at the rim. He's not really like shooting it, and it's definitely a like a mental thing too. When you when you go one for ten, man, when you're you're supposed to be the best player in the league and you go one for ten from the free throw line, that's that's unacceptable, man. Like especially in a close game, it's 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 wild to see. I'm 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 not really sure what his um, like real issue is the 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 root of the problem, but I think it's mental. I think it's just he missed a free throw to tie the game against Boston. 
Um, well, think about those Raptor playoff games where he was yeah, airballing, airballing free throws. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's going to be his, his his next step is to work on that free throw and work on just that, that free throw line extended uh, jumper that he needs to work on. I don't really think he needs to like get, get better at the three. He just needs to be better within the mid-range. Expand his game a little bit. Get outside of just spinning and dunking over dudes. Um, or just like work on your um, post moves. Work on your footwork. He has probably average, maybe below average footwork. Like, sure, he has a great Euro step, but when you're in the post, are you, you know, getting a baseline seal off a guy and dunking it or going in the middle and hit it, like shooting a hook or shooting a uh, fadeaway jump shot? Yeah, I don't really see him having that game. It's always in transition. Um, maybe, like, he just catches a guy off balance and just dunks on him. But other than that, I don't see him ever, you know, shooting uh, two, or getting in two consecutive threes. It's always just a dunk or foul, um, and yeah, his, his game just hasn't progressed where I think it should be. Yeah, I'm I'm actually super disappointed in the Bucks because there was so much talk about um, you know them making the right adjustments with their roster to get over the hump. But I'm seeing, and you know, I I figured that Giannis was going to come back better, and I've yet to see that. I think that they've sort of been hovering around uh, finals contention for the last three years, like probably seriously over the last three years, they've sort of been in the conversation of. Um, you know, top three or four teams in the league. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, their problems still persist. And it's always late in games. And it's always, with regards to Giannis, their superstar. And I think the narrative has to change because right now he's, you know, we still consider him a work in progress. We consider him the project, you know, the Greek freak. Um, we always assume that he's just, you know, a blank slate that can just keep adding tools mm-hmm. to his toolkit. And we got to, I think there's got to be a time where we got to start thinking that, okay, this is just who he is. Um, and I think uh, Bill Simmons and Ryan Russillo were talking about that this week, where, you know, guys like LeBron, we put so much pressure on, championship or bust. But for a guy like Giannis, you know, who's in the same conversation, yeah. we give him the benefit of the doubt and say, yeah. okay, well, he'll come back. He'll add this to his game. He'll add that to his game. Man, like all he has to really do is add free throws to his game, and he would become a weapon. <laughs> well, man, he's still average. Like last year, still averaged like thirty and like thirteen and like five. It's you know he's still getting numbers, but he's just not doing it um, in a timely manner. Forget, when, for, when, yeah, when they need him to forget the forget the step back, forget the three point shot, forget the pull up jumper. Shoot your free throws yeah. because if you become a threat at the foul line. You will. You could have your way with the league, the way that it's being officiated. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure, exactly. That's that's a great point. And just even coming to um, the discussion with players, kind of not evolving their offensive game. Like, what are your thoughts on Ben Simmons and 76ers? Again, they're leading the East, but him, um, I feel like he's taking a step back. He's still not shooting. The, he's not even shooting threes. And again, that's not his game. But at least expand it a little bit, or you know, pull up, have another offensive um, or add another offensive tool to your kit. And he just hasn't been able to do that. He's a great, you know, um, fast break, you know, two-on-one type player. But when it slows down and he's in half court, Mm -hmm. he's just not playing well. I think he's averaging like less than 13 points per game or he's he's around there. He's still getting the rebounds, assists, the things that make him a great player. But like Embiid has kind of taken that huge step forward um, he's a MVP candidate right now, and again, 76ers are playing really, really well. So uh, he's on track to have a big year, but Ben Simmons looks like he's taking a step back. Um, 
Like, what are your thoughts on on his play, and then just even their 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 team in general this year? Yeah, well, yeah, I actually wanted to talk on talk about Philly and Boston because. We just talked about Brooklyn, we just talked about Milwaukee, and we sort of had that conversation of, was that game the Eastern Conference Finals? On the meet, on the other side, uh, Boston and Philly played twice, twice this week. And we can definitely talk about Philly first. To me, with the, com- the continuity that both teams have, right now Milwaukee has a glaring issue that they got to figure out in, with regards to Giannis and who's going to set up at the end of the game. Brooklyn's got defensive issues <laughs> that... I mean, you could jump in with them and probably uh, really help them out on the defensive end. In the meantime, you got Philly and Boston, number one and two in the Eastern Conference. They're both playing fantastic. They got continuity, you know, for the last three or four years now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Embiid is playing out of his mind. I think if you were to take the votes right now, he'd be the MVP of the league. I think so. Maybe Kevin Durant. But uh, yeah, let's talk about Philly. And I think. With regards to Ben Simmons, to be honest, I don't watch much Philly, and I'm not paying too much attention to Ben Simmons, so you'd probably know more than I do. Um, but from the outside looking in, I feel like he's very highly hated, hated upon, and yeah. I think it's kind of unnecessary because I think what he does defensively, I think you know he was a what second team All NBA player last yeah, year, yeah. and I think it was a, a lot of it had to do with his defensive impact on the game. And if Embiid's going to play the way that he's playing, I don't think you need as much op- offensive potency from a guy like Ben Simmons as you may think you do, especially when you got guys like Seth Curry and who else do they have? They got a bunch of shooters surrounding Embiid, right? Yeah. So I think that you know the pressure actually kind of comes off of Simmons if Embiid's playing the way that he is, and I'm kind of pleased with the way that he has been playing so far because he's still you know. He's, he's still hovering around a triple-double on a lot of those really important games. Like, he steps up when he needs to, but I agree. Like, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty shocking that he hasn't been able to sort of sharp, sharp, sharpen up his his shooting. Yeah, I think a lot of, like, the, his his weakness is being uh, covered by how well Seth, Seth Curry's playing. He's, I think, averaging 17 points a game. They got that rookie out of Kentucky, Tyrese Maxey, who's playing really well. Shake Milton's playing really well. Um, I know Shake is um, a six-man-of-the-year um, candidate and in a lot of those discussions. So uh, they have a really good offensive team. They also have a very good defensive team. So um, last year, I think they struggled a lot because, again, they were playing uh, just really poorly away from home. Uh, I'm not sure because of COVID and because of the how the NBA is structured right now where, you know, you're not playing in front of fans, you're... Uh, playing in these back-to-backs and it's kind of a weird structure uh, this year and I'm not sure if that's I think might be positively affecting them because last year they were so bad on the road and I think just having a new coach in there having a new vision having a new voice um, has definitely sparked that that huge play from Embiid and Tobias Harris still playing a great third role there and yeah, they just have a solid team. I they think. got a really solid team, and th- and that's what I mean. I think we lose sight of what a true point guard used to be because this modern day NBA is like you know point guards are putting up 30, 40 points on any given night, right? Like they're they're flamethrowers. Um, I think we lose sight of how you know how instrumental the true definition of a point guard is supposed to be on a team. You know, Ben Simmons is pass first. He'll guard the best player. Mm-hmm. on the other team he's seven feet tall he can rebound the hell out of a basketball he can lead the offense lead the break um and when you got everyone else clicking offensively i don't think you need much from him and 
I'll just go ahead and say, like, I, I really like their chances of getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, I even like Boston's chances, just with the way that Brooklyn and Milwaukee is currently playing. Like, I know they, they got the superstars, but they got some issues that I feel like get exposed in playoff games. Yeah. Yeah, so those I think those are the four finalists in, in the East for sure. And with, with Boston, man, Jalen Brown's playing really nice. He's, he's taking that step. I think he's playing better than Tatum. Um, I'm not sure what their he recently stats had are. like 42 points. Yeah, he had a, he had a four, he had, he had 42 mind. against the 76ers uh, without Tatum. I think Tatum's going through some COVID protocols, but yeah, he's playing super well. Um, people are now comparing him to like Paul George and what like his career tra- uh, trajectory and how he you know started as like just a defensive um, minded player who's really progresses offensive game. Um, I, I really like uh, him as a player, man, and they're good. Uh, I went down kind of like a little YouTube rabbit hole. I saw like a Payne Pritchard, like a dribbling uh, stationary like highlight or like a training video. And then I started watching these random like Oregon uh, college games, him playing. And uh, he's, a, he's a sick player, man. He's actually... Leave, leave he's, it to the Raptors <laughs> to make him look like George Mikan. Yeah, exactly. So he had his... Curry game against the Raptors. I'm like, yo, this kid's pretty good. You know, he's like a little undersized white boy from Oregon, late first round pick, um, and I, I like his play. He's he's a he's a really good player, and I think uh, he has a strong uh, career in the league. But Boston, yeah, Tatum's still growing, and then you know those two kids are gonna you know be a force to be reckoned with in the East for the next five ten years if they're if they're gonna stay with Boston. At least you know in the last five minutes of the game. They can confidently know who they're going through. Yeah. Whether it's Tatum or Jalen Brown. Philly can do the same thing. They know with confidence and certainty that they can get the ball to Joel Embiid and take it from there. Either he kicks out to a shooter or he takes it himself. Um, at least they can confidently do that in the last five minutes of the game. Milwaukee, I feel like they got shaky legs. You know, they got shaky legs. Who are they going through at the last five minutes of the game? If it's going to be Middleton, well, great. If you're another team, you can double him. You know, and I don't think he is at that elite level where he can start seeing uh, doubles and triples in coverage. You know, and that's what concerns me. And if and if Giannis is going to take the ball in his hand or take matters in his hands, he's got to be a better free throw shooter. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And we're just, we're, yeah, and we really haven't talked about like the Heat. I know the Heat are. In a lot of COVID, like COVID yeah, the Heat are kind of boring right now. They're not yeah. really. They're sort of middle of the pack right now. They're dealing with some injuries, dealing with some COVID. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I wanted to single out the Eastern Conference in this podcast specifically because I think in terms of matchups this week, it was very Eastern Conference centric. Um, but I do want to ask you if there's a specific team right now that you just enjoy watching that you want to spotlight because. Amongst the top, you know, within the middle of the pack, there's a lot of really interesting storylines story uh, in the NBA right now. And I mean, I have my own team that I want to spotlight. So I wanted to ask you if there's anyone you did. I already like prefaced this a little bit in our previous pod, but I really like what the Knicks are doing. I like, you know, I like cheering for RJ, you know, Miss Saga kid, and he's playing really well. Um, I did not know this. Uh, and I did some research, but they're they're first in the NBA in points allowed, so they have the best 
bet or not, not best, but they, they have the third best defense of rating in the NBA. Thibodeau. Yeah, Thibodeau. Exactly. Exactly. Thibodeau kind of just doing everything under the under the radar right now. And I believe they're eight and nine. They're like an eighth, seventh seed. So no one really expected them to, you know, even be in contention. Everyone expects them to be in the lottery. But I think RJ, after kind of a uh, struggle uh, in his rookie year, you know, he put up numbers, but he didn't do it efficiently. I think he's playing a lot better now. Um, having Julius Randle there kind of revitalizing his career. Um, Triple-double machine there, too. Um, and then some of those younger kids. Um, I like what I'm seeing from, like, Opie Toppin. He's playing with a lot of energy, super athletic. And, yeah, I, 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 that's the team that I really like, um, you know, just seeing some highlights. I like seeing how RJ's develop, developing his game. Um, not just always taking to taking to the room with his left hand. Now he can shoot a little bit out there. I know he he, he goes. He's a pretty streaky shooter, so he'll go for like 0 for eight one game, but at least be like four four for six, four for seven the next game. So once he gets more consistency in his shot, I think he's going to be a really good player. And his uh, playmaking is a little bit uh, um, undervalued and just not. Um, not as well highlighted as his offensive game, as like his shooting and his um, attacking the rim. But he's a really good young player, and I I, I hope he does well. Um, and I also like the Grizzlies. I like Grizzlies what they what they were able to do without John Morant staying in the playoff picture and whatnot. Um, you know they have JV, uh, a former Raps favorite, and they're they're still missing Jaron Jackson. You know probably their by far but their second best player and. You know, he's really, really good, really good young player who stretches the floor, is a great defensive player, and he hasn't stepped on the floor this year for them. So they have a really bright future. Um, and, yeah, those are the two teams that I've – those those two under-the-radar teams that I've been, uh, been keeping my eye on. Yeah, well, we were supposed to do one, and you did two, so <laughs> now I'm going to do two. Uh, because I had an honorable mention. Actually, I would have – could have done three. Um, the Thunder are supposed to be tanking right now according to their GM. Yeah. That would be the best case scenario. But they are not tanking. They're actually playing really well. And I just want to shout out uh, Shai Alexander and Dort. Yeah. Dort's on a $5 million contract. Bargain, bargain. He's, He's getting paid peanuts. And this guy's dropping 20 points on any given night. So if you're a Canadian basketball fan, I mean, if you're Canadian, um, it's big. You know, it's big to have two guys on the same team repping right now for sure um especially for a team that was supposed to be stripped of all their assets um except for maybe one or two and had like the expectation for for okc was become a lottery team so we can start this rebuilding process and i really like how the players and the coaches are just playing as hard as they can and if it happens it happens if it doesn't it doesn't and uh we got two canadians spearheading that offense the chris ball effect man the guy with came in for a year became you know, an all-star and all-NBA guy uh, took Shea under his under his wing and tutelage, and I, I think Shea is just kind of building off that, and he's been phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. By far the best player, and then Lou Dortz is surprisingly just has gone there offensively. He's just ma- making that shot, that three, which is so vital for a young player to see the ball go through the rim at, at that rate and be able to shoot. Um, being allowed to play that way because there's not really that much pressure on them, right? And again, he's going to be an elite defense, defensive player. So, yeah, for, okay, okay, so you got a bargain. Oh, what a, a what bargain a steal, with that, and steal. that's going to pay dividends in the future. I don't know if he was was he undrafted. I think it was undrafted. I'm pretty sure he was undrafted, right? And it's wild to see what he did last year, and even against Houston in the in their first round. Um, 
playoff matchup and him just kind of uh, breaking out of his shell there. And Canada and national team, uh, we, we've got a lot of great young kids. And Absolutely. that pipeline is going to continue to grow. Um, we're going to just keep um, feeding kids through the NCAA and some of them we're going to hit on. And, man, we great future for just Canada basketball overall. Yeah, just with the I discussion mean, with those, those two teams and having RJ and then now having Shea and uh, Lou there too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, aside from having Wiggins, we all know Wiggins and Jamal Murray um, are doing an outstanding job on their respective teams. But to guy to have guys like Chris Boucher, to have guys like mm-hmm. Alexander, to guys have guys like Dort, um, who else am I missing? There's some there's some really good up and coming Canada basketball players right now. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to to them, the OKC Thunder. But the team that I wanted to spotlight was actually the Utah Jazz. Uh, for the past, what, four years now, they've lost me a lot of money with these side bets with you that, you know, they finish third or third or fourth in the Western Conference, whatever it is. Um, but one thing I can say about that team is for the last five years, they've been the definition of continuity. You know, they've been a top five team in a very challenging Western Conference team for the past five years. And they're really well coached. Donovan Mitchell is taking a leap that we thought maybe Jamal Murray would take. You know, they both balled out in the bubble, and we were sort of expecting uh, Jamal Murray to continue at that pace that he was playing in the bubble. Donovan Mitchell was playing at a very similar pace, mm. and I feel like he's he's maintained that momentum. And the Jazz are rolling. They're second place right now in the Western Conference, maybe third now, depending on the day. But um, yeah, they're playing really well. And if you know anything about a team that hovers, you know, in the top five for a long period of time, like look no further than the Toronto Raptors. You know, we witness it ourselves that if you can maintain that consistency, if you can be good, all it takes is a couple of bounces in your respective conference. And next thing you know, you're in the finals. And with COVID protocol right now, you know, the Jazz have actually sort of gotten that out of their system with Mitchell and Gobert already getting COVID, right? Yeah. Sure. So I think they're actually at a they're at an interesting point right now where, you know, you get a couple of teams go down and next thing you know, you know, they're in the finals. You know, they're playing really well. Um, Gobert and Mitchell, a lot was to be said about their chemistry, and I think they figured it out. And, you know, you got guys like Bogdanovich, you got guys like Ingles sort of supporting that cast. I'm really excited for what they're going to be able to do. And call it crazy, but I honestly think that the Western Conference this year is going to be the Utah Jazz and the Los Angeles Lakers. Wow, okay. $20? <laughs> oh, okay, so... Um... I'm down, but let's just work. Let's work out the details. So you're thinking the Jazz will be in the Western Conference Finals? How would I pick the Clippers to be there? And that's our bet. Twenty uh, bucks, baby. Yeah. Let's just see who, which, if one, if both of them are in there, then that's cool too. But, <laughs> but if one or the other, or one or the other is in there, then then the winner will get that. I'm down for that. Cool. Yeah, you know, I just I just feel like if there was a year that a team is going to get a lucky bounce. Um, it's going to be the Jazz because they don't have to deal with a lot of the obstacles that other teams may have to deal with with regards to COVID. Yeah, uh, one thing to add and one another player to highlight there is Jordan Clarkson. Oh, absolutely. That's what, what yeah, a, that's a good point. He's averaging a, 18 points a game right now. Yeah, this guy was like, like a they they got him for like a second round pick uh, from the Cavs, and right away he was clicking and playing really well last year at the tail end. I didn't know if that was, you know, just a stretch of strong play by him or it was an anomaly or what but um you know he signed like a decent contract this offseason uh they have a lot of confidence in him and he's probably the sixth man of the year right now if you you know uh started with the polls and got got that got, got those votes in. but 
he's been a spark plug off for them. And it, last year they didn't have Bogdanovich in the playoffs either. So he's kind of kind of like the X factor for them, uh, a guy that can kind of be that secondary scorer. Because again, Rudy Gobert isn't a offensive. A minded player he's going to be the deep best offensive player in the league for that team and he has a role to play and um we didn't get to see Bogdanovich in the playoffs so again they could potentially just have a really solid five with probably one of the best uh guys off the bench and that goes a long way in the playoffs especially a team that has been in the playoffs three four five years since drafting Donovan Mitchell he's playing lights out but I want to you know ask you like what your thoughts on Shaq's comment and that post-game interview that he had basically saying, hey, man, like, I don't think you can take the next step uh, to be that superstar. But somehow trying to make it like emotional, like a motivational thing, too. It was just kind of like a weird way uh, and a weird approach from Shaq. Uh, It just made him look kind of, I don't know, just immature and just kind of out of, um, yeah, just I, I didn't really, I didn't know what to think of it, but... It was just kind of a weird approach from kind of one of the older guys, the more established guys, mm-hmm. trying to fire up a player who's already shown that he's capable of performing well in the playoffs, leading his team in the regular season. They've always been like a four, top four or five Western Conference team. So kind of, you know, out from left field from what Shaq said. But what are your thoughts on those comments made earlier this week? Well, he prefaced it with, you're one of my favorite players in the league. And... I wanted you to know that I said this. So he, he made it very clear that he was just saying it to motivate the guy. Yeah. So I think it got taken out of context personally. Um, but uh, no, I mean, Donovan Mitchell seems like he's the type of guy that like would feed off that rise to the occasion. I didn't think anything of it, to be honest. Like I think that media and journalism is there to sort of create checks and balances, A, and then B, stir the pot at times, right? For sure, for sure. And I think that there's a softness right now within the NBA where, you know, certain players only want to speak to certain outlets. You know, certain players only want to speak to their Rachel Nichols or their boardroom or their barbershop. And that's sort of their comfort zone. And I think that what uh, the NBA and TNT does very well is, you know, they keep it real. And it's really hard to find that right now in journalism because... You can essentially, you know, find any storyline you want. And if you're a superstar, you can, you know, you can find the outlet that's going to deliver the best, you know, narrative for you. Right. And so I, th- I just think there's a they, it's good that they're there, you yeah, know, and you can call them sure. old, you can call them cranky. But, you know, I personally think that uh, it's all love between the two of them. And I, he did preface it by saying that. You know, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, he he's does. his favorite player in yeah. the league. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we should talk about that. But yeah, I mean, the other thing I wanted to say with regards to the Utah Jazz is they beat some really good teams this year. Um, they beat the Clippers twice. They beat Denver twice. They beat the Suns, and uh, they most recently beat the Pelicans twice in a back-to-back. So, I mean, they seem like they figured it out this year. They're deep. They know who they are late in games. You know, and that's that's tough to be to be in that position alone is is really tough. So I'm excited to see what they can do. Can we just quickly uh, talk about another West Western Conference team? I know it's not a Western Conference pod, but just how poorly the Pelicans are playing. I think they're they're like five and ten, and I don't know what the fuck's going on with that team. They got one of the most young, exciting top players in the league. 
They got, you know, KD 2.0 and Brandon Ingram. And to what, like, I'm just kind of confused on why that team is constructed the way they are, why they brought in Eric Bledsoe, why they signed Steven Adams, traded for Steven Adams and signed Steven Adams to a big contract. Um, do they not, are they not planning to just uh, central, like, just give Zion the keys and allow him to play with space on the floor? I'm just kind of really confused on the team dynamic there, the team composition, and, like, what's next for them, like... Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like, I don't know much. Like, I'll be I'll be honest, I don't even watch them. I for, They were an afterthought, to be honest. I kind of forgot about that whole team or narrative. So why don't you go ahead and tell me what yeah, your concerns are? Yeah, so yesterday they played against the Wolves, who were missing Cat, were missing D'Lo, and they lost by, like, 10 points. Mm-hmm. And now they're 5-10. and 10. They're one game behind, um, or one, one game ahead of Minnesota for the worst uh, record in the league. But this team is supposed to be one of the most talented young cores, again, with those, with those players. And now Lonzo's in his last year of his contract. If they lose him for nothing, if he you know, signs as a restricted free agent with another team, they just overpay him, they lose him for nothing. Now they're going to give Eric Bledsoe the keys to the team. And wh- I just don't understand why they traded for Steven Adams. And just, you know, when they already have Jackson Hayes as a young center there, um, why are they, you know, clogging up the lane, clogging up the paint with these big guys that don't really fit in with what Zion's trying to do? Um, they need to just put shooters around him. Work, work with Zion, work with Brent Ingram, and have just shooters and good defensive-minded players around those guys and work from there. I, don't, I just don't really understand what, I think he's David Griffin, who is their, their GM right now, and um, just, yeah, a little confused on what, what's really going on there, as, just as a young franchise that I thought had more potential than, let's say, the Grizzlies. Right, the Grizzlies seems to seem to be doing what uh, the Pelicans should be doing right now. Interesting. One second, I'm just pulling up the standings. What are they right now in the West? They are. Yeah, they're second. Oh shit! They're 14th. They're Ben, and two of those was against the Raptors early in the season too. So, geez. Okay. Well, you know, just off the bat, my initial thought would then be, you know, damage control for them because they do have some really good pieces. Brandon, I love Brandon Ingram. Zion's obviously, you know, proving that he has what it takes to hang with the best. Um, maybe what they got to do is like, I there's suitors for guys like Adams. There's suitors for guys like guys like Redick. You could get a lot in return for guys like that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, even part ways with Bledsoe. You know, I feel like those are three guys that yeah, sure they're overpaid and they hurt your um, salary composition. But you know, there are definitely teams in the league that would like any three of those players right now. So maybe you know they just got to make some moves by the deadline. <laughs> Uh, they better because again, it's we've seen the story from this team already. They they had Anthony Davis, they had the generational talent um, six, seven, eight years ago with AD, and they were never never able to surround him with good enough players. Like the best player he he had was a kind of a Demarcus Cousins, but again, he never played and played really well and had that fit with that team. Uh-huh. So it's I don't know, is it just deja vu? Is it like a a a, that situation, but a 2.0 with with Zion now, like it's just, it really sucks for what what I'm seeing because I love Zion as a player. He's you know the most exciting prospect we've seen in a very very long time. He just plays with so so much energy and he has he has probably the softest touch around the rim. Anytime I watch this guy play, he doesn't take any 
uh, mid-range or three-point three, three shots. He just attacks the basket, just has the softest touch, plays with a lot of energy and just so athletic, so pleasing to watch. It's just kind of uh, sad that they haven't been able to uh, string string along a you know just stretch of games where we can really see their potential. It's yeah. just the, the spacing on the team just isn't working. Uh, JJ's not getting any mi- minutes. Um, so, yeah, they, they definitely have to make a move before their season goes down, you know, one of these holes in their top five, top six lottery team again. And it just doesn't help with that culture. They've lost so much. They, you know, they, they've lost with AD, they've lost with Zion, and they just need to make a change. They either need to commit full time to a rebuild and let Zion be the central focal point of that offense, because um, I don't think they're, this retooling thing that they've done with AD and retooling that they're trying to do with Zion in the mix is going to work that well for a franchise that just needs a reset. Yeah. Well, that's a, we spent a lot of time talking about a 14 yeah. seed there. But, you know, the reason why I was smiling and low-key laughing is because I think in our preview on the NBA before the season started, we were like, yeah, the Pelicans are going to be like the magic of the past because they got Stan Van Gundy and <laughs> <laughs> Zion's the new Dwight. And I think I even compared uh, Bledsoe to JaVale or who's the guy? Um, who's that point guard? Uh, Jameer Nelson. Jameer Nelson. <laughs> oh, gosh. The things you say. Yeah, yeah. sorry. That was a little tangent, but it was just a team that um, I was looking at the standings. I was like, man, I did not know they were playing this poorly. But, um, yeah, they've just been losing to teams that they should be winning against. Yeah, I don't expect them to be um, these killers and beating these top contending teams, but they should be beating the under 500 teams for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, a lot. Of, we spent a lot of time in the Western Conference. I'm glad we did. Um, there was a lot to break down. And so I'm excited to go and watch the Raptors play the Pacers at 1 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nate Bjorken gets to go head-to-head against his former boss, Nick Nurse. And um, I think the Raptors are going to get obliterated. I don't want to spend any time <laughs> talking about the Raptors. All right, but all right. one thing I will say is, give me their elevator pitch in like one or two sentences. Who are the Toronto Raptors right now? What's their identity? Uh, they are... There's two things I want to quickly say that I don't know if they just need to go small and let Norm be... Um, a starter, See, this but, is the issue. No, wait, yeah. I don't mean to cut you off, but if you can't answer it in a sentence, like I'll tell you who the Boston Celtics <laughs> uh, are right now. They're Tatum sure. and Brown. Sure. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll tell you who the Bucks are right now. They're, or sorry, who the Pacers are right now. They're Sabonis <laughs> and Brogdon. Yeah, the, the Raptors are still trying to search. They're searching for their identity. They, they're they putting in Band-Aid solutions with Stanley Johnson and Chris Boucher, who's playing out of his mind, but there's such a big gapping hole within their front court. Um, just Siakam's inconsistent play, and they're not getting any value out of Aaron Baines. They already cut Alex Len. Um, Lowry been missing games here and there. Um, they're just a solid. They're a, they're a solid team. That's what they are right now. They're just a solid team that won't make any noise in the playoffs. Um, they're kind of stuck where we don't want them to be. They we don't want them to be a treadmill team. That's you know a play play in team or a seven eight seed. Like I know I know I don't want to talk about it, but they they've been playing well. Give them some, give them some uh, props for going four and one in their five game homestand. So, you know, totally get it. They're not the, the Raptors of seasons past. Um, it's gonna be a rebuilding year, retooling year to figure out what what to do next in the free agent pool and uh, see if there's any trade opportunities with Lowry. Possibly if they want to make that move and just uh, allow the young guys to take over and see if they can get um, assets moving forward. But again, it, I feel like it's a 
it's got to be a foregone season for the Raptors once they flame out in the first round, I think. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about it. I'm like, who are they? You know, what's their identity? Um, if you were to just explain them in a, in a few sentences, what are they? And I think the answer to that is it just depends on the night right now. They are they are whatever that they are on any given night. And it's, it's super frustrating to watch because uh, they just can't seem to get anything going, you know, over a few game stretch. But uh, it seems like they're starting to click a little bit defensively. So, you know, hopefully they can, they can get some momentum. Hopefully they can, you know, figure out something in the trade deadline. Yeah, it's just their, their depth has been hit by a lot. Like they're playing Yuta, Watanabe. They're playing Stanley Johnson quite a bit. Um, again, great, great for Chris Boucher, who, who's really taking advantage of the opportunities getting right now. He's, he's probably my favorite Raptor for the season, just with just his growth. Again, being another Canadian and just a guy who's just been expanding his game every year uh, with the more uh, floor time he's seeing. So, again, uh, we are uh, Raptors, you know, fan based podcast here. But yeah, this is the season. I'll still watch. I'll still, you know, uh, try to get as much insight from the game. But I don't have that much optimism with with expectations for this team for this year. Absolutely. But I am looking forward to this Pacers game. Right after that, we got the Bill, or we got Tampa Bay yeah. and uh, Green, Bay. Green Bay, and then in the Bills game at night. So it's a day, a day full of sports, which yeah, I love for sure. A nice little relaxing Sunday. Get some basketball in there. Got some NFC and AFC championship game in there. And I'm gonna get a Godzilla deal from Twice the Deal. <laughs> shout out to what? Shout out to Twice the Deal. <laughs> they don't know it, but they are the sponsor for today's podcast. <laughs> Um, definitely getting a Godzilla deal. Really looking forward to it. You know, I, I love Godzilla deal. I also love an early bird special. You know, the, my go-to for the last few years. I haven't had twice a day in a while, but you know, yeah, give, give them a shout out. Nice local pizza pizzeria around here. You know, always serving up the the freshest slices at three a.m. or four a.m. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, well, Twan, it was great uh, talking hoops with you. Um, I'm sure there's going to be no no shortage of things to talk about next week. So uh, enjoy your weekend, man. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, we will have a nice little special special edition episode for you guys next week. Uh, And uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys next. All right, take care. Bye.